0: Welcome to the Fairview Church podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. So the grand narrative today, I'm going to try to unpack two or three key things, or There's so many things you can say about the grand narrative. The big picture of why are we even here in this building today, kind of the the idea of the purpose of the church, the mission of the church. Brian, of course, unpacks this very often, but in terms of specifically why we're here today, I'm going to say a few things about that, and then toward the end, I'm going to move it to the subplot. You know who the subplot is? You. Each of you. You're the subplot. So there's this grand narrative that's compelling, <clears throat> eternally compelling, and then there's you. We'll see if you're compelling or not. We're gonna work on that. Okay. So the grand narrative here will start, but but I do want to pray, and I tell you why I want to pray. So many people set through, and I've been plenty guilty of this over the years, set through. I as a teenager, I actually set through a lot of good preaching. Our pastor was a really good, solid expository preacher. Um And, uh, but it's amazing how many times we can kind of sit through things and that's interesting and all, but it doesn't penetrate the heart, okay? I'm gonna pray that it would today, okay? So let's pray to that end. Lord, uh, we believe that what we're about to consider is from you, it's from your word. It is planned from the ages, from the very beginning to penetrate our hearts and minds To bring us in alignment with your purposes. We pray that happens increasingly so even today. In Jesus' name, amen. So this grand narrative, first of all, when you think about the church. Now, I believe that a couple of the passages we're going to... I'm going to talk about three different passages, grand narrative-wise, that I believe are often neglected. Okay, The first one is Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Let me read that. Colossians 21, 28, and 29. I believe the Apostle Paul, this is the most succinct, I call it his philosophy of ministry, his main strategy, his preaching orders are pinned right here. It starts out, and we proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully within me. In the midst of all the things that Fairview does or any other church does, that it's important, the, the, the weekly rituals, the gathering for worship and prayer and praise and serving and teaching our children and, and um, taking the ordinances of the Lord's Supper and observing baptisms, all of these things are really, really important for the church. Those are the ongoing things. But that's not the end of it. Because that's kind of what we do when we're gathered. But also in the midst of being gathered or scattered. There's a real salt and light agenda. Imperative command about serving. But, but, but we'll get to the serving piece in a minute. But maturing in our faith. So I, I like to set this up by talking about. So for, in my own experience. Uh, spiritually. Again, and I really, I really, truly don't think it was the fault of the, the church I grew up in. Really, I mean, we. But, but I, I would, I came to Christ when I was seven. Okay, my middle grandson John Martin recently made a profession of faith, for which you're very excited. He's at the same age I was uh, when I was saved. But I don't really feel like I really grew in any clear manner in terms of wisdom and knowledge and spiritual maturity until I got to college. And then all of a sudden, now I know it's not fair to compare the college kind of phase of life with you know, middle school and high school, but still I got to college and all of a sudden I was in an environment where there was really a compelling and forceful, strong emphasis on maturation, not staying the same as you'd always been and uh, it involved a lot of things and it really made a life transforming uh, and my sister's here today The same thing happened to her in her college years and so it, I, I remember coming out of those years I went into the ministry shortly after that and I, I thought about the local church and I kept thinking now why was the college situation so much more impactful for me than in my previous church's experiences and again it's not a fair comparison per se but I still wanted to know, you know, what does it do? And then I, I thought, well, my college years, the ministry strategy was very intentional about maturing. There was high standards. There was, you know, there was an emphasis on character and a lot of other things. And it really made a difference, mentoring and disciple making. And and so I, when I got into my dissertation phase of my, my doctoral work, uh, I'd been praying about my because you know a dissertation in many settings. It's, you know, I have a niece here uh, named Laney who, unfortunately, is going to Ohio State University. But she's in her PhD program. At, be quiet, Laney. Um, see, typical Buckeye fan. Um, she's in her. She's going to be having to do a, a dissertation in, in philosophy. And when you do dissertations, they, you're, most institutions want you to do, to study something that nobody else has ever studied. Well, at this point in human history, that's a guaranteed recipe for irrelevance, right? Like, so I'm supposed to spend three years noodling something nobody else has ever thought was important, man, I didn't wanna do that. I remember, God, please spare me from that. And I remember, I I did, I prayed about my dissertation and I was on the campus of the institution just weeks before I had to submit my prospectus and I saw this guy I knew uh, named Jim Slack. He worked at the International Mission Board. He was on the campus. I said, Jim, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm here to see if I can't get Southwestern Seminary to get doctoral students to do dissertation research in ways that will help us on the mission field sign me up. I didn't even have to know the particulars. And I did. And Jim Slack, he was a researcher, but he's very smart. And he said, we want to try to determine whether or not all of the energy we're spending over the the world in various churches and, and whatnot, if they're producing disciples or not. I said, man, I'm interested in that. So I wanted to do a study as to whether churches who had intentional disciple-making strategies were producing a qualitatively different kind of believer than churches that would just sort of go through the routines of normal church life. So I submitted that, and my supervisor, who's kind of a uh, Debbie Downer, um, no offense if your name's Debbie, but uh, he said, no, you really can't do that. I said, why? He said, well, you don't have an instrument to measure what you wanna measure that is scientifically valid and have been proven and tested. So he said, what you're gonna do is you're gonna develop the instrument and then you're gonna let somebody else do your research later. Oh, great. But that was what I still wanted to do it, so I did. Well, when I, years later, got to Lifeway and I launched Lifeway Research and guess what, I now had the budget and. The personnel, I finally got to do my research. I wanted to know if people were maturing or not. Or they just come to the church and go and come and go week after week after week, stay the same as they were? So we, we, we did a longitudinal study of 2,000 regular churchgoers. Okay, 2,000 people. We surveyed them in May of one year. We surveyed the very same group of people a year later with a statistically viable, proven way of measuring whether or not people are growing according to biblical characteristics of a disciple. Out of those 2,000 people, in the course of 12 months, how many of them, as a percentage, do you think showed any growth? I know Brant likes to ask you all questions. Some of you actually respond. I'm asking you a question. What percent? Huh? Three. Who said three? Were you here in the first service? You've heard, am I repeating my same old sermon I've always preached? Is that what you're saying? Through the years. Well, I'm, glad, I'm glad you remembered something. Three percent. That's terrible. I mean, how many, in what business or what? football program or whatever. What? Who would ever be content with 3% after a year of all the effort that churches go through? 3% matured at all? That's terrible. Well, I, I think there are reasons for that. I don't think that's far from the truth here in terms of what really happens is now, in this, this instrument we, we developed, measured a lot of characteristics of a biblical disciple, but you're going to just see a quick, I just threw some up there. Uh, over the course of time, you should be growing in knowledge and wisdom, devotion to God at a personal level, trust and faith. I'll stop there. I'll continue the list in a minute. But just think about that, knowledge and wisdom. Um, you know, some of you know since I repeat certain things, I guess. Um, <laughs> Patty and I are doing legacy Bibles for our grandkids. All right, journaling through a Bible for each kid, and um, uh, I, I'm in Proverbs right now, and uh, wow, it's just over. And Psalms really a lot this over and over and over again. Wisdom, seek after it. Knowledge, discernment. Over and over again it talks about. Pursue it like you would riches. There ought, to be, you, there ought to be evidence in your life. Every believer in this room. Everybody who claims the name of Christ. There ought to be evidence that you're a learner. Obviously. And beyond just being here. Glad you're here. But what are you doing? What are you doing intentionally to add to your knowledge and wisdom? And those are not the same thing by the way. In fact. I know a lot of people who know a whole lot about the Bible that I don't want to be anything like. Okay, so that's not a, knowledge doesn't guarantee godliness at all. But you start with that. But hopefully, if, if it's if it's a pliable heart, it leads to wisdom. At the wedding uh, rehearsal dinner, which cost me a few pennies, um, people talked about Blake and Mary Grace and Blake's friends chimed in. It didn't surprise me, but it was fun to hear his his friends talk about just how much they looked to him for wisdom and knowledge. And he would listen, and he would add wisdom, and he'd recommend books. And, and the, the friends around him got better and stronger because he was a reliable source of wisdom. You ought to be intentionally learning in terms of your growth and knowledge. The list goes on here. I want to talk a little bit about Another mark of maturity, now, I want to cl- qualify this a little bit. You can't control everybody around you, right? There are all kinds of people and a lot of people are messed up. I guess maybe we're all messed up to some degree, right? And you may have some drama in and around your life, you know, at work or in your family situation, um, you know, where, and, and, and it's, it, it's messy and it's distracting and it's unfortunate. You can't, You can't make, you can't, Wave this wand and make everybody around you healthy. But I will say your core relationships, to some degree, are a barometer of your own spiritual maturation. Because as you get closer to God and more obedient to his word, healthier spiritually, you will have people around you like that. You will attract that kind of people. And so there won't be your relationship, your key relationships, should not be marked by pettiness and conflict and drama, like Down Nabby, Patty. Um, you know, it should be better than that. And so if, if, you've just, if everything around you is messy, maybe look in the mirror and ask yourself, is that true? But that relational harmony and, and, and healthy relationships is an evidence of maturity. And then it goes on, service and giving, your character turning from evil. There's a lot of emphasis in the Bible about Wise people discern between good and evil and they turn from evil and they pursue good. You ought to have examples of that in your life, turning from what you know is wrong. So anyway, that's one of the big grand narrative pieces of the church is to mature the saints. Secondly is to mobilize them. Another passage that I believe is significantly overlooked even in our institutions of higher education and our seminaries is this passage, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, is often overlooked. And this is what Brant has asked me to help him with here at Fairview. So let's just read that. And he gave himself some as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, you, for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we reach and attain a unity of faith in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, then we will no longer be little children tossed by waves, blown around by every wind of teaching, and on and on and on. Okay? This passage makes it clear that Brant's job, not just Brandt, but those who serve along with him, all of his, you know, Devin and John, all of them back all their job is to equip you for the works of ministry. He's to be an equipper. You're to be the minister. We got this all wrong. You know, you've heard the analogy of football game. Uh, many of you, Tennessee fans, will be driving toward Knoxville pretty soon, right? And, uh, and you know the story. There's going to be 22 very tired people on the field and 80,000 really out of shape people in the stands. Right? Will any of you be there? Anybody going to be there? No? Oh my gosh, I thought you guys were serious fans. Okay, okay, good. Owen. Joel, glad to see you back there. Glad you're awake today. Anyway, that's the way often a lot of churches are. You got a group of people working their tails off. You know, the old 80 20 rule is often way too true, even in church work 80-20. 80 20. You know, 20, 80% of the ministry is done by 20% of the people. That's bad math. That's not the design that God has for us. But Brandt's job and others is to help equip you to do the work of ministry. And then lastly, I'm going to have to move forward here a little bit, is first is this thing of accountability. Now, I want to be careful here because I I will be honest, I don't fully understand everything about this passage. You know, when it, when the Scripture talks about eternity, heaven in specific, it, you know, we get sort of glimpses, I think the Apostle Paul once said, we look through a glass dimly, you know, we have some sense of what eternity's gonna be like, but it will be beyond our wildest expectation. So we we know a little, but I, I, I want you to bear with me just for a moment here, because I think a lot of people don't consider this. I think a lot of people are grateful for the gospel, coming to Christ, you know, he was our substitute, He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He paid the price of sin on the cross. And by virtue of faith in him, we get to receive this thing called eternal forgiveness. It's a beautiful, beautiful story called the gospel. But a lot of people think that's the end of the story. It's like, well, I'll continue to kind of work out life the best I can here, but awaits me is this wonderful experience, regardless of the degree to which I've been really faithful. But that's not the biblical picture. I believe you can see a consistent story throughout the Bible that you that this, this is a training ground. Brant helped me with this phrase, he, Dallas Willard, training in reigning. Life on earth is a boot camp, if you will. It is a training ground for things that will blow our minds in eternity. It's not just a a waiting period where we can continue to kind of just have fun and do what we want. No, it's a training ground. And I I use this in the first service about, I like, I've already told you, I like some of these SEAL team kind of movies and stuff. And, you know, people are practicing. And every now and then you'll see in a movie, in fact, I just saw the new Top Gun movie not long ago. And it's like, this is not a drill, right? Right? And of course, you can see in the room, boy, the tone really changes when they hear that. This is not a drill. We have a real enemy and a real threat and you are about to use your training to go face it. It's a different tone altogether, right? Well, I'm I'm here to tell you what we do here as a believer, a group of believers in the community. This is not a drill. There are eternal consequences beyond probably what we often think about, whether or not we are faithful to use who we are and our gifts and talents and experiences to advance the cause of Christ. It's not a drill. And this passage in 1 Corinthians 3 touches a little bit on this. It talks about, I believe, accountability for what, who we are. And, and it's consistent with other Bible passage, passages like the parable of the talent. But I'm going to read this brief section. According to God's grace that was given to me, I've laid a foundation as a skilled master built. Paul is talking about he laid the foundation of the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ as the Messiah and the Savior. And another builds on it, but each one is to be careful how he builds on the foundation of the gospel. For no one can, uh, for, for no one can lay any other foundation than that which has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, or silver, or costly stones, or wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious to others for the day. will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built upon it survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved. But only as through fire. You've heard the phrase saved by the skin of your teeth. I believe that eternity is going to be way more than we think it's going to be. And this creative imaginative God that does, has done things beyond our minds all this eons of time. Is going to continue to display his character and his purpose and his nature. And, and we will reign with him. But I believe, maybe, I think you ought to consider, your faithfulness or lack thereof now will impact that. Okay? It's not a drill. It's not a drill. So those are sort of the, the, the mega narrative here of the purpose of the church. To mature the saints, to mobilize you, and to, and to encourage you to be Have an eternal perspective of being held accountable for your service. Now, in the last few moments we have, we're going to talk about, remember I said the the grand narrative and then the subplot, and you're the subplot. Let's talk about you just for a moment. There are two or three verses that are really pithy. We've already talked about one of them. But number one is you're to get eager. You're to be eager for these acts of service that God has planned for you. Titus 2, 14. Let me read it. He, speaking of Jesus, gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession. That's the gospel. Eager to do good works. Eager. Not reluctantly. Now, I thought of this while I was preaching last service. Patty and I did a lot to get ready for this wedding and guests that that are coming in and whatnot. We did, you know, we worked on the yard and a whole bunch of things. And I, uh, and Jill, I painted your bedroom. Okay, we call it Jill's bedroom because, you know, when your sons marry, they get trumped by the women they marry, it's Jill's room. And I painted that thing. I hate painting. Does anybody hate painting? I, thank you, I hate painting. Why? You have to be careful. I don't like being careful. I just don't, you know? I get it all over me. I get it on the carpet. And I don't know how many times I've said, oh, I won't spill it. I don't put a a blank, a cloth down, I'll be fine. And then I spill it on the carpet. Patty, I didn't show you a couple of those places. (laughs) I was not eager to paint that goofin' bedroom. It helped that it was for my daughter-in-law. Okay, it really looks good, Jill. If you don't look closely. Um, Like cutting in at the ceiling. Oh, that is like, oh my gosh, I hate that. So I did it reluctantly, not eagerly. My wife wants me to put a second coat on. Ain't gonna happen. No. Eagerly. You're to serve eagerly. It may take a while to figure out that and how to do it and win. That's what this class that's coming up for will help you with But You're to be eager. You're to be equipped. Ephesians 4.12, we've already talked about that. You be eager, you be equipped, and then you get engaged. Titus 3.14, in closing says, let our people learn, learn. It is isn't just automatic. You learn to devote themselves to good works, to meet pressing needs, so that you may not be unfruitful. And we're gonna help you do that beyond what we've already done to help you do that. So starting in two weeks, it's a class called Discover You. We're gonna walk alongside of you, whoever shows up. Now, you know, it's hard to ever schedule something that doesn't compete with other things, but we're gonna do it at the 9.30, small group time, two weeks in a row. On the 14th and the 21st, and then we're we're reserving a third week for possibly some individual kind of coaching, consulting kind of thing uh, to go along with that. But in two weeks, we start this process of helping you take another step forward toward being fruitful. You don't want to be one of the 80 percenters, do you? Or the 3 percenters I talked about earlier, right? Right. So that's the challenge. Think about people you know. It might be a good even opportunity to invite somebody to church. And, hey, they're having a class to help you learn more about who you are. We're gonna have it. There'll be a spiritual gifts inventory and a process. We'll do the best we can. I'm sure we'll evolve and get better as we go, but we're gonna be standing beside you to prod you on to service and good deeds, okay? So it's not a drill. We do not want you to be unfruitful. Let's pray. Lord, we, we think a lot of reasons to serve other people, to honor you and to be obedient and to help this church grow and be increasingly effective. We, just the joy of helping friends and others. Uh, but also, we know there's eternal consequences. And so whatever, all of that together, Lord, we pray for motivation to be eager to do good works and to meet pressing needs. It's in Jesus' name I pray, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.